This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I'm Katie Rich. I'm here with our full team reassembled again. I've got Richard Lawson. Hello. Rebecca Ford. Hi. And David Canfield. Hello. Um, we are back from post-Oscar breaks. It's so good to have, uh, you know, new things to look forward to, uh, most of which is television at this point. We're going to talk about a ton of TV shows and try to wrap our heads around the Emmy season to come, which uh, David and Rebecca, you and I have really been digging into for months, including before the Oscars, which felt crazy. Um, yes. But everyone else, I think, is getting a wind of it because there's a lot of great stuff premiering right now. Um, but before we jump into television, I do want to talk about movies real quick um, because, Richard, you are reviewing The Northman for us this week. Um, and I think April is almost as crowded as uh, television is in terms of just like really good stuff coming out. We talked about everything everywhere all at once last week. And uh, The Northman from Robert Eggers of The Lighthouse and the Witch seems to be living up to the hype, right? Yeah. I mean, it's such an, an odd little... I mean, not, it's not little, but it's such an odd project. It's coming out, you know, um, it feels like a fall movie, but it's coming out in the spring. It's from Focus Features, I think, but it costs $90 million. Like, <laughs> there's just a lot of, like, uh, strange things kind of converging on this movie that, um, you know, Eggers has probably been building to, from The Witch to The Lighthouse to this. This is definitely his biggest project. Um, and, you know, it has a great trailer that's been playing in front of every movie I've seen in the last, you know, five months, it feels like. Um, and so I think there's a lot of anticipation for it, which is exciting because it's, it's not based on a franchise. It is the story that inspired Shakespeare to write Hamlet. So yeah, the, the franchise being uh, the yeah. one that also inspired the Lion King. Yeah, it has some IP attached to it, I guess, vaguely, but, um, it's mostly just feels like a new thing. Um, maybe akin to some other movies that we've seen, um, in past years, but, uh, you know, it's got Alexander Skarsgård as the lead, which is a huge, you know, lead role for him, um, as this, you know, vengeful prince basically, who's trying to kill his uncle who killed his dad and rescue his mother played by Nicole Kidman. Um, and it's big and loud and bloody, uh, and kind of moody religious at the same time. Um, and Anya Taylor joy is in it. So I don't know. It has a lot to recommend it. And it was a fun thing to write about because, uh, with Eggers, work, I'm never quite sure how seriously we should be taking it. Um, I think he does <laughs> bake in some subtle satire here and there. I mean, maybe less subtle in the, the lighthouse, but this one, I think there's a little bit of a kind of wink at the audience. Like, these men are kind of silly. We recognize that, right? Um, well, that was the whole deal with the lighthouse, too, right? Yeah. Is that it was all about like these macho dudes in the lighthouse going crazy and being ridiculous to each other. Exactly, and um, certainly people going crazy in the the wilderness and the witch. And um, this one, you know, has this big climactic vol 
volcano volcano eruption and and uh you know he really fills the film with um big loud up close visceral stuff um and yet i think there's sort of a a more thoughtful quieter core to it which i think makes for you know interesting viewing and i don't know if it's awardsy exactly maybe technical stuff but um it is at least fun to see um all these great actors thrashing around in the mud of iceland in 895 and given the way that everything everywhere all at once is it's even more of a box office success now than when we talked about it last week like there's reason to believe it might I don't know about making its 90 million back at the box office, but it, it might do OK, right? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I was debating that that figure with a friend the other day. Like, how did he get this much money for it? Um, my hunch would be that it's a big international play. You know, yeah. it has a lot of dialogue in English, but it, it, it is mostly a visual kind of um, endeavor. And so maybe it will translate well. Um, and yeah, cause that's a big gamble to spend that much money on something that isn't, um, you know, Thor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I hope it does well. I hope that we're, you know, I think, you know, led by everything everywhere, um, all at once doing well. I hope that we're having a little resurgence in curiosity about what else is at the multiplex or what's at the art house, you know, across town. Um, that's, that's my hope for the Northman. And I'm sure that <laughs> they hope that too. I do feel like there should be some kind of if you loved Thor, try the Northman marketing because, you know, it's not so, so far down the road in terms of mythology. Yeah, they, ha- you know, they talk about Valhalla and Valkyries and all that stuff. So that that feels familiar. <laughs> Tessa Thompson makes a cameo at the end, like a you know world building kind of thing to connect. Yeah. And, and Bjork plays a blind prophetess. And, you know, and she's, you know, in real life, she's the blind prophetess who predicted mm-hmm. all of the Marvel films. So, yeah, I know. you know, it feels like there's synergy there. It's good to see you're getting recognized. Um, David and Rebecca, I know you guys are in kind of catch up mode in terms of getting back into movies. Um, what how how does prioritizing movies at this point post Oscars feel for you? Are you as excited about the, uh, you know, the, the indie box office boom that we're seeing right now as we are? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think we're all excited to see new movies and focus on new movies and talk about new movies after talking about the same movies for, for quite a few months. So, you know, for me, it, it is exciting to see these sort of unexpected films already become a, a part of this conversation. You know, I listened to you guys talk about um, everything everywhere all at once last week. And, and I'm definitely have been seeing that energy around that film as well. So it, it's definitely exciting and I'm excited to, to play catch up and see everything. It's also been so long since we've had like a real early year Oscar movie push through, like get out is the one in my mind. There might be another more recent example. Um, and again, like we don't want to be too like overpromise too much about either of these, but um, it's fun to just even think about it, even if the the energy kind of fades by the end of the year. Well, to talk about uh, awards that are a little bit closer on the horizon, and I think a really a lot of good stuff that you can watch right now. Um, Emmy season is really in full swing. Um, there's a ton of television premiering in the next two weeks, um, including uh, stuff that has just uh, come out very recently. Better Call Saul is back for its final season. Um, we had uh, Chris Murphy, who you heard on the show last week, was on the red carpet premiere of Gaslit um, this week, which you can see on VF.com. Um, and Rebecca, you've been keeping track of all the like the FYC events that are starting to crop up and they're everywhere, right? Oh, yeah. It's really I just I made a small list of sort of what is happening in the next seven days. And it it's like they're all FYC events and it's Euphoria, Station 11, Grace and Frankie, Selling Sunset, Love is Blind. Um a Q&A with Guy Fieri. Like, if if you want to go to something, there is something for you in the next what is Guy, What is Guy Fieri uh, promoting in the uh, in Emmy season? I miss this. He's the showrunner of uh, Severance. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. That's, that's why they have the waffle party. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he has 
two things. He has diners, drive-ins, and dives, and he has tournament of champions on the Food Network. I am no Guy Fieri expert, but it sounds like he's he's got a lot to talk about. I mean, the way that they uh, have so many Emmy categories in daytime, he could have like ten Emmys, and we wouldn't know. Yeah, he's probably like up for host and producer, and who knows? He probably gets more Emmy nominees than anyone, and we're just not aware of it. <laughs> I mean, I assume that the energy to go to these things is fully back, like given just the way that mask mandates are falling and Oscar season got to be pretty normal. Like this, everyone's going to be out pounding the pavement this year. It does feel like that. And, and you know, none of these invitations had any sort of um, requirements for COVID tests or anything, which was was such a big part of Oscar season. So it is interesting to see how everything just feels sort of back in in a way it it didn't even feel during Oscar season. Was it kind of a requirement to go big like that when there's so much premiering? Like the the amount of shows that are popping up is immense. So like people are going to start doing whatever they can to get their attention, right? Yeah, I think that this is this year feels the most crowded that I can remember in a long time in every category. And and I I don't know how these shows sort of try to stand out among all that noise. So I think they're really going to do everything they can. I expect to see like a little more sort of those stunt promotional things we've seen in the past. I think, you know, handmaids used to have women dressed as handmaids, like running around LA. And I I kind of could see (laughs) stuff like that happening again this year. Um, Well, yeah, I want to just go into a more comprehensive overview of Emmy season, sort of similar to how we did our 2023 Oscar predictions, but with a lot more actual knowledge, because we've seen a good number of these shows. Um, And I think the biggest question for me, maybe not for everybody, but something that interests me is that Apple won the comedy Emmy last year with Ted Lasso. They just won the Best Picture Oscar, as we all know. Um, they have a lot of really great shows out this year. Um, and David, maybe I would throw it to you as I think someone who kind of follows big award, big Emmy season narratives even more than I do. Like, are you, do you have your eye on Apple as much as I do in terms of how far they can really take this awards momentum that they're on right now? Yeah, absolutely. I think that this season particularly... Um, they've just launched so many shows, uh, many of which were really, really well received that, um, it's, it's a real test, I think of, of how they can spread their wealth a little bit. You know, one of the things we've seen with Apple with both, um, Ted Lasso and actually Coda on the Oscar race is Mm -hmm. they had one really strong contender and they were able to get it across the finish line in the end pretty comfortably, which in the case of Coda was pretty remarkable given what a long shot it seemed, you know, not so long ago. This year you have Ted Lasso coming back in the comedy category. You also have the after party, which um, is not going to get a campaign. I don't know that it has enough juice to go too far in any category, but it's, it's a good example of like a secondary contender. And then in drama, you have severance, which is, a real critical hit, a word of mouth hit, um, crashing a really, really competitive drama series race where you have past nominees like Succession, Ozark, Better Call Saul, and then other insurgents like Yellow Jackets, Yellowstone, Squid Game. So it's, it's very competitive. And um, that's a good example of where Apple can maybe showcase its strength or, or remind that it's still young and it's still going to be hard for it to get all of these big contenders in at the same year. And then down to limited, of course, you have stuff like We Crashed and a Samuel Jackson show that it's not clear that many people watched and, and on and on. They have a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the question about it's not clear if any 
people watch. Like we've had this question about Netflix for years, and I think Apple is now just another factor in that. We didn't know how many people watched Coda. It didn't seem like that many, but then it won Best Picture anyway. Like, Richard, do you think yeah. it matters anymore if people watch these things in terms of Emmy attention? Well, I mean, I think you can probably assume that some things are going to be industry favorites and some are actually popular shows that are also industry favorites you know i Mm -hmm. think that um there have been whispers for a long time about certain streamers like amazon where it's like how many people outside of the industry are actually watching mrs mazel or whatever you know Mm. um but you know it's funny i was talking to a friend about all of this like um a colleague about you know all these shows coming out it really does feel like december in terms of movie season or something or november you know um with the Emmy's cutoff date being May 31st, like everyone's rushing to get out kind of like the Tonys just get their stuff out there to qualify. Um, and I don't know, I, I have to kind of question the strategy of this much stuff coming out, not just on Apple, but like, you know, across the spectrum where you have so many different biopic shows from gaslit to the dropout to we crash to super pumped to under the banner of heaven. Like it, it, it feels like a really overwhelming prospect for, um, you know, just a casual viewer and then to be a voter who feels that they really have to dial in on a lot of this stuff. I just don't know how you prioritize. Um, so maybe that's why there is this. I'm sure it is why there's this um, glut of um, FYC stuff just to like, please, you know, it's basically people yelling from their carnival <laughs> kiosks being like, come here, come here, come here. Look at this. Look at this, you know, um, because how else do you get that attention from people? Well, you also get with the way that the Emmy schedule works, where the cutoff is May 31st and then voting starts sometime in, in mid-June. And so it's like they want, you know, they want Gaslit to exist right now and be there visible to you, but they don't really want you to talk about it until the first week of June. And, we, you know, for how the sausage gets made, we encounter that on this very show where we're booking people to be uh, guests and the, you know, the trying to angle toward voting season happens with everyone we work with. Um, so it's almost like it doesn't matter if people watch it when it comes out, so long as it exists to be discussed. It's a weird, in this way that television works now, where everything is kind of just out there floating in the ether all the time. And it's about plucking out what you actually pay attention to and, and getting your attention in that process. The calculus, the calculus must be that at this point with, you know, so many options, it's impossible to watch everything that the Emmy nomination is what does bring the attention to things, you know, in as much as anyone's paying attention to it, they can at least slap that on any marketing going forward, you know, um, and, and that would, that would distinguish it um, in, in, in a way that a lot of this stuff is not that distinguishable. It's big stars doing, playing real people, you know, that used to be a big deal when, when that would happen once in a while in the TV's uh, calendar, but now it feels like it's every day. One of these, you know, Julia Roberts is competing with Anne Hathaway is competing with, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, yeah, so maybe the Emmys just be, have become that much more crucial, not just for like uh, prestige and pride, but for literal marketing. Yeah, that makes you think of the First Lady, um, which premiered this week. It's the like the Showtime big limited series push. And David, you were talking to Susanna Beer about the making of it. Um, but like, I haven't seen the show yet. And so maybe this is just my blinders, but it feels like it doesn't exist already. Like the the amount of stuff out there, it feels like the First Lady has so much competition, right? Yeah, it- it wasn't very well received by critics. Um, it, it it seemed to mostly generate negative attention out of its Sunday premiere for um, Viola Davis's portrayal of Michelle Obama. There was a lot of uh, negative Twitter reactions that translated to you know LA Times articles and things like that, um, which basically centered on how you know whether her performance was a little bit too close to mimicry and, and things like that. Um, the show it just feels kind of like three really 
um, traditional biopics stuffed into one and interweaved throughout. And uh, Susanna Beer, um, who's you know a great filmmaker, who's won an Oscar for international film, she won an Emmy for directing The Night Manager, talked to me about really filming these three epic stories back to back and and the challenge of after that um, finding a cohesive 10 cohesive episodes with all of them interweaved throughout. Um, and that's a, that's a big challenge. I think that this is an, this year is an interesting test for a project like the first lady and even something like gaslit, which um, is coming with much stronger reviews, but um, just how much that star power can get you if people aren't really paying attention. Gaslit's on stars, which is a network that is not as you know, widely accessible. And I do think with the Emmys, at least popularity matters a lot. Um, just in terms of standing out amid so many projects. And so these shows are, I think, going to be really challenged despite their star power to overtake stuff that just generates more buzz and and strong, um, has strong momentum going into voting. Yeah, you compare that to like Severance, which has recognizable stars, but not like Julia Roberts level stars or I have an elementary, which is kind of one of the big like break breakthrough network hits of the year. Um, and they Even have the so much buzz. Out. Yeah, yeah, the dropout yeah. on the limited side is one that I think of of like Amanda Seyfried is someone who, you know, she's coming off her first Oscar nomination. She's really well positioned, I think, to have a big Emmy breakout. She's not as big a name as Viola or uh, Julia Roberts, um, but that show has all the ingredients I think, to take her really far. Yeah. Um, Rebecca, what what do you think has the momentum that we're talking about, either because of the stars it has or just because it's really good? Well, this isn't exactly a new show, but I do think um, keeping an eye on what happens with Squid Game will be really interesting this season because, you know, they they already had some success at SAG Awards and um, they have Netflix behind them now. I think Netflix wasn't sure if if it was going to be able to be an Emmy contender because obviously it's, you know, an international show and, and there has not been success um, for a show like that in the drama category yet, but, you know, after it did so well in the, the, um, guild awards recently, they, I think they're putting their full power behind it. And, Mm -hmm. um, Netflix has the money and the influence to make people pay attention to a show. And they obviously don't have to do that heavy of a lift because everyone was talking about the show for a long time. Obviously the challenge is it came out a while ago and now there's all this new stuff um, coming out. But to me, I think that could be a really interesting narrative of the season. And because the stars, like they're, they're still pretty, you know, unknown to a lot of people, but like Ho Yun and Lee Jung Jae, who both won the SAG Awards, they, you know, people love a breakout. The Emmys have historically like had a harder time getting on board with fresh new talent, but I think they've gotten better about it. So, so they're exciting, even if the show feels old. Yeah. And I think the Netflix question is interesting as it is every year with every awards race, we always come back to them, but they finally got the drama series Emmy last year with The Crown. The Crown isn't around this year. Um, and Squid Game, I think they have reason to believe it's going to be big for them. But do we do they have a deep enough bench otherwise? Or is the um, is having just the one contender maybe the the path for them to not split the attention between a bunch of other shows? I think they're definitely going to push Ozark mm-hmm. pretty hard. We haven't seen what that final season will look like, but it'll be eligible. It's somehow never won for either its lead actors or um, in that drama series category. So that will be a push. I'm also watching Stranger Things, which has been nominated every year. It's been on the air and is coming back for this cycle. So they do have a lot of question marks, but it feels like Squid Game is 
easily their strongest contender with the most passion behind it, um, which kind of showcases old versus new Netflix and how they've evolved because those shows are feel like of an era of Netflix that's kind of slipped away a little bit. Which one? Ozark and Stranger Things? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Richard, what do you feel optimistic about or at least feel is, is coming into this crazy derby strong? I don't want to send anyone into some sort of temporal madness, but the White Lotus is eligible for the Emmys we're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is like, huh? Because it came out, you know, July of of last summer, um, but because it premiered after May 31st, it's it's a 2022, 20, uh, 20, you know, it's for this Emmys. Um, so I'm curious mm-hmm. about that. Like, you know, again, it is an old show, kind of like Squid Game. Um, but I think it would be a really big boon for um, that show's second season, uh, which I believe is being filmed now uh, in Italy, uh, if if it can remind people of its, you know, greatness and, and its respect in the industry. I think the thing about, like, the Netflix of it all that's kind of interesting to think about is that yes it is a very new netflix now they're premiering howie mandel primetime game shows you know originally on on netflix like they're doing all these reality dating shows like they're really going after the network viewers at this point um which would seem to suggest that they aren't awardsy in the way that they used to be with house of cards and all that stuff um but if netflix can figure out a way to take a huge international hit that is populist and exciting like squid game and make that awards like it already has been, then they're kind of getting the best of both worlds. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, obviously Ozark has been a big hit for them, but that feels like David said more like traditional prestige cable stuff. So um, maybe that is just a holdover from the previous era. But, um, you know, it's just funny that like after all of the conversation we've had over the years about these emerging streamers, um, Apple being the exception to this, but like it's still a lot of HBO and Netflix, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Um, and yeah, Showtime is a player there. I think they definitely hope to be for the first lady. But um, Yellow Jackets was the more unexpected surprise uh, hit, you know, in, in that realm. But, um, you know, we're not seeing a ton of competition from um, other upstart streamers in the way that it, I kind of thought we would be at this point in that whole narrative. Yeah, I wanted to talk about HBO, too, um, and then maybe get into limited series where the White Lotus is. But HBO just, especially with HBO Max, they have a ton of shows. I think HBO Max is maybe the biggest factor in the comedy race um, or like biggest new thing in the comedy race to happen in a really long time. Um, and you've got Barry back, which I think is going to be really strong. Like Minx is out there. Julia is out there. Um, hang on. I miss. Oh, Hacks is coming back. Um, how do they... Is that it? An hour? Do they call that comedy it's or drama? Comedy. I can't yeah, it was not for comedy. It's a comedy. Okay. Year. I uh, I get caught because for a while it was like if you're 30 minutes, you're a comedy. If you're 60, you're a drama. Yeah, they um, forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's also arbitrary anyway. Um, but can I mean, is it going to be just like the HBO Netflix show again? Like, can HBO continue being dominant when you know for so long it was like they had their like four huge shows and now they have like 12. Yeah, um, I, 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 I think that Apple is probably the spoiler there, you know, potentially. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it kind of like how Apple beat Netflix to a best picture. Um, mm-hmm. there, you know, because Netflix, Netflix has won now a series drama Emmy, right? Yeah, they, had, they won for The Crown. Finally. Yeah, after, they won like, lim- yeah. limited for Queen's Gambit. Oh, right. So, like, after many years, they finally got in there pretty recently. Um so I guess it's kind of it's kind of I've been sorry I've been watching a lot of old seasons of the challenge. So as TJ Lavin would say, it's about who wants it more, you know, <laughs> who's really going to devote to the because I don't know that Squid Game at this point needs a ton of campaign energy behind it. 
um, but probably something at Apple like Severance, even though that's been a big hit, like might still be enough of a foreign entity that they need to give it more of a push and where HBO can kind of, I think, you know, do their events and stuff. But um, they're a really trusted brand that, um, you know, always does well at the Emmys. So I, I don't know. I, 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 it, it, I, Apple being, you know, part of the biggest company in the world doesn't really position it as an underdog. But in these real narrow kind of vacuum confines, it kind of feels like the upstart who's trying to eat the uh, bigger kids lunch. In comedy, at least, though, I mean, they are they are in the position now defending right. um, their their win. Um, I, someone will have to check my math, but last year in the comedy categories, I believe we had one returning nominee in the Kaminsky Method. This year, we have thirteen. I think <laughs> past comedy series nominees going for one of the slots in this category because you oh my have God. you have Ted Lasso, <laughs> Hacks, Barry, Marvelous Mrs. Basil, Atlanta, What We Do in the Shadows, Curb Your Enthusiasm, The Flight Attendant, Russian Doll, Emily in Paris, Lest We Forget, mm-hmm. <laughs> the final season of Blackish, um, Pen Fifteen was nominated last year, uh, and on and on. I mean, it's it's an enormous pool. After last year, it was so small. And you have a mm-hmm. lot of networks. Like I think FX is going to be really working really hard to make sure Atlanta makes it back into the category um, after such a long break, um, as well as what we do in the shadows, which is probably a bit of a longer shot. Then you also have like really exciting new shows, like Only Murders in the Building is definitely an across the board contender for Hulu, and Abbott Elementary is the great network hope, um, which is a really good shot at making it. And it's just so competitive. Um, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to think of how some of these networks even prioritize shows when, you know, you mentioned HBO, they have so many um, both new and returning to, to position here. Yeah. I was looking down the, um, the drama series lineup, which is a similar setup with a lot of returning huge names in there. Um, And I think HBO gets to kind of come swinging in being like, we have succession. We have the show that won like two years ago and then euphoria on there. Um, But I really like the spread of networks that like looking through gold derby, um, our friends there who kind of predict this stuff way in advance, like you have Netflix with Squid Game and Ozark, you have AMC with Better Call Saul, you have Paramount Plus with Yellowstone or Paramount Network. I can't remember, remember which one that belongs to. It's Paramount Network. It's not oh, on Paramount Plus. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow this show is a huge hit despite being absolutely impossible to watch, which is something we should get into at some point. Um, and then you were mentioning FX, David, um, with all those comedies, and it was so dominant in the limited series category for so long. And, you know, the fact that it it's still kind of strong in there in the comedy side. It, it's nice to see it not be nice to see the spread among the networks, even though it feels like HBO and Netflix win all the time. Um, yeah. There's still some potential there. Should we talk about limited series then, um, since we went through drama and comedy a little bit? And Richard, you mentioned The White Lotus as um you know, I think as we were watching it last summer, we were like, this is going to be the thing. Like, everyone wanted to talk about it. It was a classic HBO water cooler thing. Um, and I think it still is. It's very much still uh, prominent in the conversation. But my God, did that category get competitive again? Um, yeah, time was <laughs> if you had an Oscar winning movie star in your miniseries, that thing was definitely getting nominated and probably winning for that actor. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, yeah. there's a good chance that Anne Hathaway won't even get nominated. <laughs> You know, because there's so much competition in that lead actress in a limited series. She's obviously in We Crashed. Um, Seyfried kind of, I think, emerges sort of the, the, the front runner. But, you know, what? who am I forgetting? Probably myriad other people. Julia Roberts is now in the mix. Like, um, I, I don't know how to call that one. I, I, I don't envy the people who have to predict that. But um, it, it's getting to the point where big things are going to be left out, which is um, not where we were a few years ago. 
And don't... Well, last year, the uh, the actress race was so famously uh, like such a bloodbath. Um, so we're right back at it. Sorry, Rebecca. I I was, uh, yeah, and don't forget our our Oscar champion Jessica Chastain as scenes from a marriage, and mm-hmm. we'll never count her out of anything ever again. I think so. Nope. <laughs> um, you know, I, I agree. I think this limited series. I didn't think it could get crazier than last year, but it just it just feels cr- uh, impossible to you know acknowledge all the shows that we'll probably not get in this year. <laughs> and Anna Hathaway is great. On We Crash. And mm-hmm. Richard, you and I are going to talk about the finale this week on Still Watching, and I'll just continue singing her praises. But it will I will go the rest of my life angry if she doesn't get nominated. She has an Oscar. She's fine. But I want her to get nominated for this. Um, David, you were pointing out to me um, separately that in the act, the male side of limited series is actually interesting, um, which hasn't been the case for a while. Yeah, I think one of the strongest overall contenders is Dope Sick, um, which was another <laughs> long ago miniseries for Hulu. Um, that was That's, I think, more in the the mold of miniseries uh, that aren't as hot anymore. It's a little bit darker and glummer and less sensationalistic. Uh, but Michael Keaton's terrific in that. He had a, such a um, lovely speech at the SAG Awards, which I think positions him nicely um, in this category. But you also have Oscar Isaac in Scenes for Marriage um, opposite Jessica Chastain. He was nominated for a SAG Award. Um, and and I thought Samuel Jackson was terrific in his Apple show, Last Days of Ptolemy Gray, even though I don't know how far it can go. But it was a really, really baby, um, interesting role for him. And then stuff that's coming down the pike. There's a lot of heat on Under the Banner of Heaven, which stars Andrew Garfield. Uh, which Speaking of Oscar season. Speaking of Oscar season. Uh, kind of positioned, feels like, as the perhaps the mayor of the season. It's true crime drama centered on a detective intensely local story um, focused on um, a murder in a Mormon community and what it reveals about um, the history of the religion. Um, You have Colin Firth in The Staircase, which, you know, Colin Firth has not done television since like Pride and Prejudice, which is a very different era of television. Um, It's a pretty good track record, though. Yeah, pretty good track record. (laughs) Uh, He's opposite Tony Collette there. It's going to get a big push from HBO. Um, so it's nice to see this category be finally get some life in it. Um, last year, we all kind of shrugged when Ewan McGregor won because it just didn't, it was very unclear who could emerge there because most of the nominees were secondary to lead actresses in their series, like Paul Bettany in WandaVision yeah. or Hugh Grant in The Undoing. Um, I just poked through the supporting actor category in limited series, which is uh, maybe even more fun to me. Like Murray Bartlett in The White Lotus, I think, is a strong favorite there. But Naveen Andrews in The Dropout, uh, William H. Macy in The Dropout, um, Michael Stuhlbarg and Peter Sarsgaard in Dope Sick. Um, I still haven't seen Pam and Tommy, but I love seeing Seth Rogen with Emmy Buzz. Um, I now will watch oh, that right. show. <laughs> Um, there, there. It's and um, Dan Stevens and Gaslit was uh, one one I wanted to flag because I guess Sean Penn will be the lead actor from that, but I think he's really doing good work on the episodes of Gaslit that I've seen. Um, That's kind of that cheating, show ha- I think. Uh, Dan Stevens <laughs> is way more of a lead than Sean Penn is, but he's not as famous. But also, I Shea guess- Wiggum is in that mix too. I was just going to say yeah. Shea Wiggum as G. Gordon Liddy is just it's like a really it's not unhinged, but it, that character is nuts because he the, historically he is nuts and Shea Wiggum is really running with it. Um, so I feel like there's a lot, a lot of potential in Gaslit there. Watch um, Wyatt Russell to an Under the Banner of Heaven that Embargo lifts next week, but he's playing um, Dan Lafferty, who is the most, um, let's say, <laughs> colorful character in, in this true story. And uh, Wyatt Russell's 
uh, an actor who has been, I think, waiting for a role like this and a breakout like this. So keep your eye on him. Uh, something that I think is really interesting this year is that we may have a broadcast contender in the comedy um, ser- comedy series category because Modern Family used to rule this category for years. And I think the last time they won was 2014, which is the last time a broadcast show won this category. But Abbott Elementary has been um, it's a wonderful show. It's it, you know, it's sort of a in the vein of The Office, but set at a a school comedy and um, it, but it's been getting a lot of attention. I've been at events where people are just like gushing about it to me out of nowhere. And so I feel like it really might have the momentum to break in uh, to the comedy category, which I think is exciting because broadcast is almost non-existent in those categories at this point. Yeah, it's pretty much just going to be Blackish and Abbott Elementary. Mm-hmm. Right. And then on the drama side, I guess This Is Us is going into its um, final season. So it's a contender there. But yeah, I, th- I feel like the obit for network comedy has been written so many times and it, it keeps surprising us, which is, I think, a better way to have it than otherwise. Right. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. So we'll have lots of Emmy conversations uh, over the course of this season. And I think our our personal favorites will, will reveal themselves over time and they may change. And, you know, I've already talked about how we'll be rooting for Anne Hathaway all along. Um, but I want to know who else you guys just really are, you know, expecting to do well or just really hope do well, even if they're a deep underdog. Um, maybe I'll start with you, Richard. What do you just want to see happen? Well, because she was cruelly overlooked for, I think, the greatest television performance of the 21st century. Uh, in Happy Valley, I'm hoping that Sarah Lancaster can um, make some Emmys headway with uh, Julia. Um, I Me watched too. I watched some of the show and I was like, okay, I don't know how much we need this given that we had Julia and Julia not that long ago. But she certainly at least makes the case for her performance. And um, she's really one of the best TV actors out there. She's almost only done British stuff. But um, that would be exciting for me, and I think for the 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 many diehard Happy Valley fans who feel like that show uh, back in its day didn't quite get its due. David, I know you're a fan of Sarah Lancashire too, um, but I am someone else. And uh, this is actually her first uh, American role after Much Resistance, so here's hoping that she is embraced for it. Um, yeah, there's there's so much because there are so many shows that probably aren't going to break through. Uh, that you hope will. Um, I think I'm going to go with from it's a show that I don't think got a lot of attention. Uh, it's called As We See It on Amazon Prime. Uh, it follows um, mostly autistic characters and actors. And Sue Ann Pian, uh is 
probably the de facto lead of, of that cast. And she's pretty extraordinary. Um, and we talk about, you know, representation in these categories and, the, and actors who have not been recognized historically. Autistic actors are absolutely on that list. And um, she gives a really wonderful, um, complicated performance. And I would just love to see it get some attention. I'm, a nomination is probably the longest of long shots, but I'd, I'd love to see her at least get talked about a little bit. This is the time for long shots. We start now and then they're not we long start shots now. anymore after a few months. Um, how about you, Rebecca? Boy, it's really hard to pick, but I guess we'll get to do this multiple <laughs> times through so the season. Well, I was, <laughs> since, since on, um, we just ran your interview with Sue Hugh, and mm. I know you're a Pachinko oh, fan. Good, yeah. I don't know if you want to, I feel like we should get into that. Yeah, I do think, you know, I think Pachinko has a very strong um, chance for drama series. You know, it's this big, bold, multilingual show. Um and beautifully shot. Um, but I, I would love to see some of the actors get nominated as, uh, or at least get some attention as individuals. Um, Kim Minha, who plays the younger version of Sunja, um, it's a really hard role. And there's a lot of times where she has to deliver these sort of emotional moments without speaking a lot. And she's in a, a discovery, um, you know, doesn't have a lot of experience, but she really carries um a large part of that show you know on her back and i think definitely deserves the attention um yoon yu jung plays the older version of that same character and obviously you know is an oscar winner and has that sort of name recognition already in hollywood but i you know i would love to see um, minha uh, be a part of that conversation um, I'm going to throw in one more for myself, um, even though I already talked about Anne Hathaway. Um, I don't know that Minx, I don't know who watched Minx. I hope, I think some people did. I watched Minx. Um, I watched it. <laughs> Thank you. Me too. Um, I don't, it's not a perfect season, but I think it got better as it went along. And I just think Jake Johnson has been like such a s- solid TV actor uh, since on New Girl, you know, it's been a decade now. Um, and he's this like this good, like kind of. Uh, smutty guy with a heart of gold uh, anchor to this show, um, which isn't really about him. And I think he does a really good uh, supporting work to um, Ophelia Lovebond, who is the main character. But I think I think he will qualify as a lead actor in a comedy, which, like every other category we've talked about, is jam-packed, including with um, two people from Only Murders in the Building. Um, but I, I feel like if Minx is going to hang in there, he might be the person to do it with. And I would love to see that happen. Oh, also, I would say Himish Patel and Daniel Deadweiler from Station Eleven. Mm. Yeah. I don't know how much gas that has uh awards wise because i think a lot of people were like i'm not watching a show about the pandemic which or a pandemic which fine um but they're so good on a in a, in a cast that's you know full of great people yeah that show how does categorization work for station 11 have they said anything because there's so many people to account for i think it's a, be- a good contender for best pandemic drama uh, <laughs> which is a new category um, i mean dope sick a different kind of pandemic yeah yeah, yeah yeah that that qualifies <laughs> yeah the pandemic of niceness and ted lasso <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean again like it station 11 premiered in december and it already feels like it's you know in the midst of the past and it doesn't have the benefit of um only runners in the building or um physicals coming back for a second season you know the shows that are returning uh, some of them are really cannily um uh timing their new seasons to remind you of the previous one um but in the limited series one shot's all you got so you're hoping they can hang in. And how do you do a fun FYC event in LA for that, for Station Eleven? You know, like what's the, <laughs> what's the hazmat suits? Like, I don't know. Like, no, you could do like a, uh, like a very cobbled together Shakespeare performance in a field. Like I oh, would go see that. That's yeah, true. Just walk, the, walk through the town with those little car- carriages and then perform. And with a sousaphone leading a parade. I mean. The Hollywood Bowl I, is essentially a field. Yeah. <laughs> Hire me to produce your, your Station Eleven FYC events. That's what I would like to say. 
Um, well, as I said, we will talk about the Emmys many times between um, now and September, and we'll have lots of coverage on Awards Insider 2. We're all working on fun stuff because in a way, like Emmy coverage, sort of like Oscar season, is just an excuse to be like, hey, I like this thing that aired. It's six months ago, but you know what? I'm going to do it again. So um, please learn more about our personal favorites that way. And that does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. As I said, find us on VF.com. We're on Twitter at Little Gold Men and on, and on our own. I'm at Katie Rich and Richard. Rylaws. And Rebecca. Rebecca M. Ford. And David. David Canfield, 97. You can also sign up to text with us at joinsubtext.com slash littlegoldmen or text 213-513-7035. This week's episode was edited and produced by our special guest producer, Dave Gonzalez, who is usually on our Still Watching podcast and filling in for Brett Fuchs. We are eternally grateful, as always. And this week's award for the best new tagline for Little Gold Men goes to Rebecca Ford. Don't forget our our Oscar champion, Jessica Chastain, and we'll never count her out of anything ever again. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. This week, with the help of Dan Adler and Olivia Nuzzi, we're going inside the media circus swirling around Donald Trump's criminal trial. People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts.